early on, I think like most entrepreneurial companies, uh, I, I was definitely a jack of all trades. And then I had my first like manager hire that was also a jack of all trades. And we just did everything. Sales, we did uh, sales ops, we managed the clients, we trained, like, you know, we just did everything, right? And that's just not a sustainable way to grow. And what I actually did was I, I when I realized it, I hired a, a coach, which I, I really would encourage all, all owners to, to invest in, um, who has done it before. They don't necessarily need to be in your, in your industry, I don't think, can be. Uh, but I think more somebody really understands how to build organizational structure, how to create accountability. Welcome back to another episode of The Dirt, where we dive deep into the triumphs and challenges of growing your business. I'm your host, Jim Barnish, and our guest today is an expert in helping businesses to create more sales meetings and increase pipeline, a gap in so many growth stage businesses that I meet with. His name, David Krieger, his business, Sales Road. And my favorite part about our discussion today is when we go deep into how to assemble a high-performing sales team. Before we dig in, a big shout out to our sponsor, Orchid Black. Whether you need to create more recurring revenue or just drive growth and profitability in some other manner, the team at Orchid Black is your answer. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform. Without further ado, welcome to The Dirt. All right, David, let's dig right in. Who is David and what is Sales Roads? So David is uh, a uh, getting to be an older gentleman here. <laughs> um, I'm going to be 46 in a few days. Uh, but uh, no, I, uh, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I started Sales Roads 16 years ago. Um, and uh, it's been an amazing ride uh, since I started out of, out of business school. So I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and start a company. And so my mission going back to business school was to figure out a company to start. Uh, and so I spent those two years building up the, the concept for Sales Roads, um, which was really at the time, uh, this was back 2005, 2006, was to be a, a distributed uh, inside sales outsourcing company. So people working out of their home offices instead of a centralized location, which at the time, uh, was fairly novel. There are a few companies doing it, but uh, come 2020, not so novel anymore. <laughs> Lots of people are yeah. working from home. Uh, but I just lo I love the model. I love because you know I feel and we'll, we'll dive into some of this. I think sales, you know, is really about about the people and about the team that you you put together. And I'd run inside sales teams previously at internet startups, built out uh, you know gr great inside sales teams, and I learned. You got to have good training, you got to have good processes. But at the end of the day, if you don't have great people on your side, uh, it's going to be really tough. And so I love the idea of the distributed model to be able to just recruit the best salespeople wherever they lived. Um, and so from, from there, we, we decided to, to create an uh, inside sales outsourcing company. We're an SDR outsourcing company, uh, but uh, before the SDR was even a term. And so been building up over the last 16 years with amazing clients and amazing team. It's just been a fun ride. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, you guys, you're how how big are you right now? Uh, so we're a little over seventy five people. Excellent, seventy five and and growing and rocking. And I know you guys have lots of uh, lots of great awards that you've had, including Inc. Five Thousand, things like that. And building a team like that, people base is is hard, but, uh, meaningful what you've done. So like, just t talk to me about, um, you're a sales 
company at the end of the day, right? Um, and I've always believed in the importance of a strong culture, a strong sales culture. You know, what? how have you cultivated the high-performing sales culture that you have at Sales Roads, both internally and externally? Because one's hard enough, let alone the other. Yeah, so I think that it is uh, two-pronged. One is to set very clear expectations for, for your team. Um, and sometimes have a, they have a role in, in, in setting that and making sure that there are achievable expectations in the form of quota, uh, KPIs, other, other things like that. And I think in sales, obviously, versus other types of endeavors, it's, it's easier to create those since at the end of the day, we got we to gotta sell, we got to book appointments. But you'd be amazed at how many times people don't create those clear uh, accountabilities, those clear quota, or they don't communicate it well. Um, but it's really important, I think, to, to you know, uh, clearly define what success looks like. Because at the end of the day, great salespeople want to know the rules of the game. They want to know how to, uh, to win the game, how to crush the game. And you got to make that very clear for them. And the second part, and this is the part that I think, you know, also people miss, and, and I don't think it's rocket science, but it's just being very consistent about it. It's just holding people then accountable to it. You know, not, not micromanaging necessarily the day-to-day, right? We see a lot of sales managers just like, do so you have your dials in, you know, where, where, you know, it comes to the end of the quarter, where's your sales rate? That's not, not what you want to do. You want to, you want, but you want to hold people accountable. You want to know every single day how they're progressing towards quality. You want to coach them along the way, tell them when they're doing a good job, when they're not doing a good job, and be very clear about that. Um, you know, so that you're holding them uh, accountable. And I think when you get those two macro things right, then you're creating, and we'll talk about people and other things like that, but you're creating the culture that you need from a high level to create a, a you know, a high-powered sales team. And you guys are doing that from a customer perspective in a, like, in a pretty, pretty wide arena, right? You've got some high-growth startups, which has, you know, its own kind of startup culture oftentimes, <clears throat> And you and you've got enterprise Fortune 500 businesses that you get cater to. Also, do the same folks on your team? Um, you know, are they are they are they bifurcated? Meaning, you know, do you have some that are focused on enterprise and some that are on you know some of the high growth startups, or are they able to you know be kind of jack of all trades and take care of both types of customers? How how does that work out? Because that's a pretty wide but uh, meaningful customer set. Yeah, I think it's a great great question. So. First, the, the SDRs that we have on the team, we really focus them as dedicated SDRs. So part of our model is that we're really part of our client's organization. So that SDR is living and breathing their, their organization. The managers are. We're part of their inside sales team, part of their strategy conversations. And so they're not jumping from program to program or doing round robin things. They're, they're, they are that, that, that client. Um, but... Also, as part of your, your question is, is I think one of the important things, both for selecting SDRs, but also within the context of agencies, is really understanding who the SDRs are really good at selling to. Who are the personas they're better at? You know, so there's some people who are really good at selling to C-level. First of all, they're okay with like not talking to people for a long period of time, getting it, you know, maybe being a little bit better at email, you know, things like that. Um, and then there's people who are just really good, you know, at calling. You know, we have a, you know, a, a SaaS platform where we're calling subcontractors, right? So that's a very different buyer persona than you know a CTO, right? And so we try to 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 pair the SDRs with the right types of buyer personas that they feel comfortable uh, selling into, that they understand better, and we find that that's usually a recipe for success. 
So are you typically coming in as as full-time SDRs on their teams or SDRs having to, you know, work for two or three companies at a time? How does how does all that work when it when it comes time for execution? Yeah, so we hire, so our clients hire us uh, as full-time SDRs, so it can be anywhere from okay. 1 to 15 SDRs depending on the program. And so then, you know, the, the SDRs that are working on our team are, are, are working on those programs. Now, we do have an interesting model. We do have some folks who are part-time. They might be retirees. Uh, we, we really, part of, part of our, our, um, our value prop is we do hire SDRs who are a little bit later in their, their sales career. So they've done this type of work before. They've been AEs. They've been outside salespeople, but they like the prospecting side of things. So we will sometimes hire part-time SDRs, but they're still dedicated to a program. We might have two part-time folks on one program. So you're not the cheap option. That's good. We're not the cheap option, but you guys, we're, we're you guys the, are the experience. <laughs> you're the effective option. Yeah, no, the reason I say that is I see a lot of cheap options out there, right? Um, and part of me, you know, wanting to have you on the podcast is to talk about how the cheap option isn't always the best option, right? Sometimes it's, it's well, you always get what you pay for. Let's start there. But um, I think a lot of businesses see an SDR as this low-level resource that reports to the AE and that ultimately is there to, you know, uh, do all the bottom feeding work. And that's just so untrue. I mean, they are a partner to account executives. They are, they are mission critical for a sales organization when done right. And they are one of the most important resources in the organization because without what they do, you ain't selling anything. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's something that I'm pretty passionate about because, you know, we do a lot of work with creating predictive revenue, bringing folks like you in to, to do what you do is, as is is so important towards growth and towards value creation. So I'm just curious, uh, what what landed you on that value? Because I would say out of a out of 20 firms like yours, 19 of them focus on the cheap options. They, they you know hiring interns or hiring you know entry level folks that they drive their methodology worth. And I don't think that method works. I think it can work in certain discrete situations, but from a broader sense of what works and what doesn't, your method and your way of hiring experience reps is what really drives value. So how did you land on that? Did you experiment a little bit on the on the cheap side and land there? Or did you know that this was the path from day one? Yeah, it's just my mentality. I feel like if I'm ever going to do something, I'm going to do it right. And so I never mm -hmm. want to cut corners. Um, and so we've always been a high, not, not only recruiting uh, experienced folks, but a high touch agency, because I think to do this well, you can't, I don't know, I, I, from my perspective, you can't just throw things at the wall and you can't just like throw some SDRs together, throw some scripts together and just hope it, yeah. hope it works. It is a, it, it's a process and, it, and it's uh, a detailed process where you've got to build a, a good strategy, a good initial strategy that you think is going to work and spend some time on that. Um, then you got to test it. I mean, the way we do, we build a demand generation playbook. So we're you know, building, it's almost like a mini consulting program before we even start. Then what we do is before our SDRs get on the phone, our, our, our coaches, our t uh, talent development managers, whoever's managing the, the SDRs on that program are going to make some test calls. They're going to get a sense of what's working. We actually have what we call a strategic optimization specialist who's the one type, we have a few of them, but we'll, they'll go from program to program, but not because they're going to be there for a long period of time, but just to test messaging, right? Uh, when, you know, um, 
and we know if they, they can't book appointments from it, the messaging's off, not them, right? And so yeah. you know, we, we test things even before we go. Then we do in-depth training. Then the, the SDRs work, you know, do a lot of role play. Then we start calling. Right? So that's a lot of work even up right before we start calling or sending some, some emails. And then you got to iterate, right? Because hopefully with all that work you're going to get, you're, you're going you're gonna, to um, expedite success, but you're still going to need to iterate success, right? So uh, we will mm-hmm. iterate a, as we go along. And so I just, I, I haven't seen a way around doing it in, in, in that way. And we've seen time and time again, when we are up against other centers, uh, that might be less expensive. It turns out to be more expensive because at the end of the day, you're judged on the sales that you're going to bring in. Um, and right. so, you know, that, that's the way I like to, to approach things. No, it's well, well said. I mean, building a uh, robust sales pipeline is a challenge for so many businesses. Can, can you share, I mean, I'm obviously not asking you to give away your your methodology or anything but but what's your general approach to pipeline management and how you ensure a steady flow of prospects yeah so it's a number of different steps so even going back to some of the things i said that i i I left out but i think are important for for this conversation um you know prospect selection is really important first figuring out the right icp and sometimes especially with early stage companies it's tough it's tough to know they haven't necessarily figured out product market fit yet and they'll have you know have us sort of test different things and, and, and whatnot um but even within once you have a sense of the product market but you got to figure out who the right companies are and that's there's a lot of a pro- process around that so I, I think making sure that you know the right types of companies to call into with the right type of messaging. So what do they really care about? Not what do you care about and think is awesome about your product, yeah. right? So, um, and we all fall into that trap a, a lot. Um, and so building approaches around that. And then, you know, having a balance of, of calls and emails. And you can put in LinkedIn to some, to some degree. I think it's another animal and it, it, there is effective uses of it. Um, I've seen more not effective uses of it sometimes with, with the way people do it, yeah. but but um, but also just really not forgetting the phone. And I think what we've seen with some of the technologies that have come in place over the past five to ten years with outreach and sales loft and these cadences is that it's given SCRs an excuse not to call. They feel like they're being productive by mm-hmm. creating cadences and letting it go. And listen, it's tough. It's tough to be rejected. It's tough to cold call, right? It's, 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 it's tough. But, but it's still, in my opinion, is the, the, the best channel because you get to have a real conversation. Um, and to make email effective, and it's, you, you either got to do a lot of research and make it really customized or do a lot of volume. So yeah. you, you, can, you can leverage that. But, but I think that really making sure you don't forget the phone, but having a balance with some of those other things helps to build a predictable pipeline. You know, with this uh, growing trend towards automation and sales that you mentioned, how do you balance the benefits of automation and technology with the personal touch, personal touch, sorry, of a human in your service delivery? It's tough, right? Um, But I, I um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you got to look at the metrics. And if you have a large enough TAM, you can do some 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 large email prospecting. You got to make sure you've got a large enough TAM because you don't want to burn them, right? And you are going to have to send a lot mm-hmm. of emails to do it. And you got to make sure you're set up to do it so they don't go into spam and and um, and whatnot. Um, 
But I think you got to look at the metrics and you got to try different things. So, you know, maybe there's certain certain high value prospects that you really want to customize some of your email messaging, do some videos, things like that. You know, there's just no one size fits all here. So I think you got to look at it from a strategic standpoint and say, who are my most, you know, what, what, what's my ideal customers? Do I have a set of a small group that I really want to go after them in a customized way? And then maybe volume for, for the middle folks. Um, and maybe some other strategy, you know, for 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 the for the rest, right? So, I think it, you just got to define it by by market, by by company. How do how do you guys leverage technology at Salesroads? Do you come in with your own, you know, custom built uh, end to end IP that you deploy into every client, or is it customized and configured based on? Based on client, how does that you know how does that how does that work in in line with your methodology? So we have our basic tech stack, which we've tried to keep fairly simple. One of the things I've, I've been careful of is uh, not having tech stack bloat. <laughs> so we have actually a fairly simple tech stack uh, because I think that sometimes that also can get in the way of productivity in an ironic way. Um, and so. We'll keep that fairly standard. We'll, we'll, we will do some email automation depending on how big the TAM is, what TAM is, and whether we think that's a good good strategy or whether we want to go a little bit more one to one on the emailing and calling. And so, the 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 technology IP, and I wouldn't even call it IP because it's not like we developed it. We have our methodology through what we put you know put together, but it's not like we coded our own our own things. Um, and also the list pulling process and how we pull a list where, where we maybe scrape websites, what, what different uh, databases we pull from. We have a whole bunch of the, uh, you know, them. We don't just use one to build a list. We, we aggregate from a lot of different sources. So all that is, is, is customized. But as far as the tools we use, it's not like we're changing tools all the time for every single program. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the follow-up I've got there is just given the increasingly remote nature of work. And, you know, I know that you live in Boca, but right now you're in Colorado, your team's a little bit decentralized, you know, how, how is sales roads needed to adapt its approach around, you know, B2B appointment setting and sales development and so on and so forth um, you know, since remote work has just taken off. So for our own internal capabilities, we didn't have to uh, adapt much just because we've always been remote. Our team, we built a core capability around our team being remote, recruiting remotely, training remotely, managing remotely, building a culture, which I think is one of the things that I think is, is missed. And some of the people are feeling like you have to go back into the office to have the culture. I think part of that is that they just haven't figured out how to create a, a remote culture. And it's hard, especially if you have hybrid, because it creates two different types of you know, silos of, of people, right? So we're just 100% remote, always have been. And we've created a culture around that where people call some people at, their, at sales roads who they've never met physically, some of their best friends, right? Uh, so, and I'm proud of that, that they, you know, during, during COVID, there was one SDR, I think they were like in Arkansas, and one was in Virginia. And one uh, had a Walmart that had toilet paper and the other one was out of toilet paper. If you remember those days and the one with toilet paper sent the person toilet paper. Uh, so anyway, those are the types of uh, relationships that people <laughs> develop and we encourage uh, at Salesforce to create that, 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 that type of culture remotely and, um, and internally. So that's the internal side of things. So we didn't have to adapt much. That was, that was part of our core capabilities from an external standpoint. You know, I, I think cell phones have become a lot more important. Um, and, and and trying to find lists where we can we can 
uh, get people on the, on their cell phones. Um, you know, we do try to be respectful in a way. So we still do scrub DNC on cell. So if somebody really doesn't want DNC, even though you don't necessarily need to do it, but, you know, there's certain states where you should. Uh, we, you know, we try to be respectful with it, but but those types of things are are uh, are important because you got to try to catch people where they are. The good thing is the direct numbers usually are forwarding to their home or whatnot at this point. Um, but it's really list list quality is 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 the main thing that that we found. It was interesting early in the pandemic, yeah. maybe because we had really better list sources than everybody else. We we saw an increase in connection. I don't know if people were at home and they felt less busy and less meetings and things like that. Uh, I think it's reverted now back to very much back to the mean. Um, but but that was an interesting little bump we saw. Yeah, no, that that is interesting. And and you guys have been building a pretty excellent team there at Sales Roads. You know, when you when you look at team building and effective org chart, I know you mentioned some things earlier on measurement accountability from an execution perspective, but when you strategically look at building the organizational structure and assembling an end-to-end good team, you know how how did how did that adapt um, as you or you, as as SalesRoads has, has has grown to seventy-five plus people? How you know yeah. imagine a lot of a lot of movement there? Like how how have you responded to shifts? in growth? I think it's a really important question. Something that was a big, big change for us. So early on, I think like most entrepreneurial companies, uh, I, w- I was definitely a jack of all trades. And then I had my first like manager hire um, that was also a jack of all trades. And we just did yeah. everything. Sales, we did uh, sales ops, we managed the clients, we trained, like, you know, we just did everything, right? Um, and that's just not a sustainable way to grow. And what I actually did was, I, I when I realized it, um, I hired a a coach, which I, I really would encourage all all owners uh, to to invest in, um, who has done it before. They don't necessarily need to be your, in your industry. I don't think um, can be, uh, but I think more somebody who really understands how to build organizational structure, how to create accountability. Um, how to create good dashboards so you can manage your, your team and, and the organization. And one of the tricks that she taught me for this specifically was think about your company and what the ideal org chart should be and don't think about any of the people on your team. Because a lot of times as you're thinking about org chart, no, I've got you know, okay, well then Bill needs to be here and I've got Jill and she should be here because she kind of has that skill set and you sort of fit people where you think that they maybe fit best. But really what you should design is don't think about your team. Think about what is the most ideal org chart now and then maybe, so maybe you're at 1 million, you know, what should it be at 3 million, 5, 10, you know, uh, in revenue. And then work backwards and say, okay, I've got you. You know, I need to have uh, a head of a program management or my clients. Here are the accountabilities for it. Here's the skill set. If I were to hire Jill now, would she fit there? Right. And mm-hmm. hopefully it's yes. And if it's maybe, then you can still put her in that role, but know it's a maybe, right? And see whether she can rise to the occasion and re- really fit that. But sometimes as you grow as an organization, the people you have aren't the right people. So either you may be, and we've had to do this, you know, we demote people down if they're they're open to it. Sometimes people, if they get demoted, they want to move on. But um, we've we've had honest conversations with people and they said, this is just not the right fit. 
we could put you here. Um, and then you, you got to find find the, the the right right people in the right seats, right? I think this comes from Jim Collins, right? The, the good to great, right? You know, uh, you know, uh, think about your the, the right right people in the right seats, right? So think about the seats first, and then who are those right people? So when as as you guys have have needed to evolve, as you mentioned, right? You're a services based business, and and you know people are always your most significant asset. But in services business, you know, double down on that, right? Um, how, how do you how do you ensure that um, your uh, as you're evolving in that organizational structure, you're retaining the right talent and moving on from talent that's not the best fit for where your business has grown to. Yeah. So I think it comes back to first understanding what people's accountabilities are. So in each of those roles and in that, or what is their one to three accountabilities and make sure, um, you know, that if they're quantifiable and hopefully they are not always, but you know, they can be tracked on the dashboard and you can see whether people are meeting their accountabilities or not. And then you can get a sense over time, whether people are actually, um, you know, and it takes a little bit of time. I'll tell you, once you start thinking about accountability dashboards, it's an evolving process. It's hard to do. <laughs> the first dashboard I created for my people in my departments was crap, right? And we had to say, ah, oh, this is numbers really not teaching us stuff. But but over time, you, you figure out some of, the, some of the right accountabilities, and then you understand whether they're, they're, they're meeting them or not. And then if they're not meeting them, you know, you, you got to coach them first, right? It's a good, especially if their heart is in the right place and they're a culture fit. You got to see whether they can rise to the occasion. So I have one-on-ones as I think most people should be with, do with their direct reports. It's not just going over the day-to-day, but also going over the metrics and coaching as part of that. And then I also run quarterlies with each of my direct reports. So we go over from a quarterly standpoint, what's worked, what hasn't worked, you know, uh, I also ask them to me what's worked, what hasn't worked, right? But but then once you create that type of cadence where you have accountabilities, you have weekly meetings, you have quarterlies, you start getting a sense and giving honest feedback whether someone's the right fit or not. And they also start realizing whether they're the right fit or not. So when you have to have that difficult conversation, it's not a surprise. Yeah, no, and and as as entrepreneurs, we um you know, we <clears throat> we face turbulence on a daily basis. Um, and I know we've talked a lot about how you've grown to 75 people. You know, th- there's been a lot of things that you've been blessed with, with a great team and a great culture. And 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 th- this this sounds like, you know, yellow brick road as we talk about it, but it's not. You know, it's it's um, there's ups and there's downs. And, um, you know, how how have you kept a, a level mind? through all of the ups and downs of sales roads. And if, as part of that, if you don't mind just, you know, maybe sharing a little dirt on some of the downs and, and, and uh, how you are able to overcome some of those downtimes. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't start with all this gray hair. So, you know, uh, I have my, my battle wounds, that's for sure. Showing right, right, right there. So, um, yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship is the most amazing thing, and it's that absolutely the most horrendous thing at the same time, right? So, uh, and you got to be pre- no, I don't think anyone's completely prepared until you step into to, to the fire, but but you got to know that. And one of the key things that I've always thought about um, on both sides of that is nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. So when I'm flying high and having an amazing quarter, an amazing year, right? 
you know, it's not always going to just continue up like that. You're going to hit challenges, right? And you're going to hit unforeseen types of things. And on the flip side, when things are really challenging, you got to keep a level head and say, listen, you know, things are not as bad as they've seen. And now that I've gone through it for 16 years, I can remind myself, you know, I can think back on some of those things and say, listen, in, in an industry where so many companies have started up and got out of business, not made it, done you know stupid things. We we have always, through ups and downs, continued on um, and and provided a really good service for our, our clients and and a great place for our employees. And so I think reminding myself of that 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 I've always made it through is is really uh, is really important and helpful. And I actually treat you know I I I, um, I do a, a journal a day. I can't remember the name of the the. The thing is, like over five years, you can write like five, five lines and you can see what you did three years ago. And it's interesting because it really gives you perspective. You remember what you were doing three years ago. Maybe you were freaking out about it. And you're like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> wow, that's right. That was tough, you know? And so I think that having that perspective is really is really helpful. And then, so you asked for, for an example. So um, early on, we, we landed... Uh, a really amazing client. Um, we started out with two seats. We grew it to like, you know, this was like a year or two into the business, you know, like 20 seats or something like that. Um, and, you know, that was great. But also it was, I think, 70% of our revenue at the time and like 90% of our profit. Right? And I and knew man. this was the problem. But the problem was I didn't have an org chart. I did, you know, I was doing everything by, by right. We were doing everything and, and you was a problem, but, but but so and then eventually, as it is in in our, our business, you know there are times and and where it makes sense for a client to bring certain things in house, right? And so we it wasn't you know anything went wrong or whatnot. It just they had grown to a certain size when they realized you know we want to bring this in house, and they were great about it. I think it was like six months notice, right, or something. And they said, you know, and we worked with them. We wanted to you know end on the on the right note to help them help them with it. Um, but I was almost starting from scratch, right? Me and I had a team that was depending on me uh, that was also a little freaked out, right? They see this client is going, going away. And so one thing I said to them, which I still feel is true today, um, when I, and I had like an all-hands meeting with, with, with everyone and I said, you know, this client is important um, and, and, and I'm sad to see them go as we all are, um, but they're not as important as each and every one of you because... We can find other clients, right? And but what we build here from a culture standpoint, you know, uh, a talent standpoint, an amazing team standpoint, I believe that's much harder to build again than one client. <laughs> um, and yeah. everyone, we first of all kept everybody um, on on the team through that that transition. Everybody also stayed with us, which is another thing. I thought maybe people would get scared, and, and I felt that was. Really, uh, I was proud of that, and we sold our way through it. Right, we we found other clients, not not ones that was bigger, and and at the end of the day, it worked out better because we were diversified, right? Um, and we had Amen. more clients to, to to have. So we worked through that. That's one example. There's many uh, of challenges, but that's one that was was particularly um, poignant. Yeah, no, that's a really good example of one that you and the team kind of banded together through a really tough thing, didn't lose anybody and, and got the team together and were able to push through. Are, are there, um, are there any moments that were just so challenging emotionally for you to move forward? Um, and, 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 you know, maybe even you thought for a moment 
or maybe for a day or maybe for a week about shutting down the business or, or having to get rid of people. Like where the, did you ever hit a, hit, hit a low point at like that low? Yeah. I mean, I think COVID was tough. The first part of COVID, I think through COVID that ended up being, being, being an interesting good time where people weren't going to trade shows. So they needed to invest in sales yeah. development. But I think we all remember March and when the world stopped. And I think that's probably yeah. the closest I've, I've come to that. Um, you know, like what, what is going to happen right here? You know, how, how are we going to work through, through this? Um, you know, I think I had one client call me up and, you know, it was, you know, that act of God <laughs> clause that's in every contract that none of us thought was, was uh, and I said, like, okay, I guess, you know, uh, so, uh, yeah. so I think that was maybe the, 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 the moment. Um, but I think I, I can't, you know, I think, think having that perspective still with still, even in that circumstance, you know, nothing is as bad or as good as it seems, right? And that seemed that helps to keep a, a level mind. Um, and I knew everybody was, you know, on, on my team, even if they were scared and, you know, that, that they were, we had a good culture and, and we had each other's backs. Like I, you know, mentioned about the toilet paper, this SGRs are sending toilet paper to each other and we had a community yeah. there. Um, and so, you know, that might've been the, the closest, but I think still keeping that, that, that 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 le- level head as much as possible, and also having a team around you that's that's supportive and everybody's got each other's back was was critical during that period of time. Yeah, no, it's team team banding team banding together. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a good examples of that, and you know what? Um, I guess yeah, just to flip flip the script a little bit around you know, what you're excited for in the future, you know, what, what is it about, um, what you guys are building? Um, you know, what is it about the, the general, you know, I guess let's just start generally, right? Like what, what has you excited about the future? So like, I think a lot of people, I am really fascinated and I'm excited about AI. Um, and I think it's just, it's just something that, has been, I've just enjoyed thinking about playing with, seeing what is relevant now, what might be relevant in the future, because it is really such an unknown, right? And that's kind of what makes it fun. Um, and so that has, uh, and I am bullish on, on the future for it. I mean, a few things I think some people are scared of, it's going to take over the world. Yeah, nothing's as good or as bad as it seems. I <laughs> think that applies to, to AI as, as well. I, Listen, maybe there's a small chance with all this stuff, but for the most part, we've seen it with all these other types of technologies, you know, most likely not, right? Um, but I do think it has some amazing things that it can do for, for hu- both humanity, but also I think going back to, to sales and business uh, leaders, you know, I just, I, I am just blown away by what it can do on, uh, uh, from a productivity standpoint for, for myself. Um, and what I think it will allow us to do moving forward, because I don't think AI is going to replace salespeople or sales motions, but it definitely is going to augment them and make them more effective um, and will also allow you to be more effective in, um, in less time. And, and so either, yes, we could have some reductions in staff or what we've also seen from technology is usually the pie gets bigger. <laughs> There's more opportunities yeah. for everybody, right? And so there might be more opportunities for everybody, but you know, we'll, we'll see. But I think it's fascinating to think about, to play with. Um, and just for my own, and, and what I'm trying to find as a balance with my organization is 
I, I want to be careful because especially there's so many AI tools of just throwing a lot of things at my team because it can get confusing and whatnot. So I'm sort of being the curator. Now that I have my own chart, I can kind of be like the visionary sort of <laughs> to, to yeah. make my hair, my gray hair bigger. Uh, but like in thinking about that type of stuff and what can we apply to list building, uh, which is the things that like we're really focused on list building. How can we use it for, for building better messaging, iterating messaging, um, and then we'll think about how we can put it in the hands of the SDRs eventually. But I think it's just an amazing tool to make us all more pr productive. Um, and I think that's a good thing. From a, from a sales perspective, how, how, can, how can other businesses, what are, what are some small things that they can do to take advantage of AI or, or any, of, any of the other trends that are connected to it of you know, the, the, where things are headed? Yeah, so um, here's, I guess, a few few things. So I think um, from a, let's talk about sales uh, first. And so one of the things I think it is really good at is, let's say you're a sales leader that is maybe going after a new vertical, or maybe you just, your CRO has just come into an organization, or maybe you're one of the startup founders and you're focused on sales. A lot of times you kind of just jump into sales, but I still think it's really important. One of the steps that we talked about, we build a playbook, you know, build some type of strategic uh, playbook as a hypothesis of how, how you want to go after your target market. And I think AI is fantastic to help you do it. So here's just a few steps. One is, and if you're using ChatGPT, Upgrade to ChatGPT4. Spend twenty bucks. <laughs> like it's just, just gotta 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 do it. Um, okay. It's just better. So um, uh, so upgrade there. But then the first thing I think you do, and I think there's been some talk about this, but I think it's you gotta invest it in a little bit of time in telling the AI who it is. So right now AI can be a lawyer. It can be uh, a um, a, 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 a home designer. It, it, it can be, um, you know, a, an accountant. If you're thinking about sales copy, right, tell it that it needs to be a sales copywriter, but not just a sales copywriter. So say, you know, you're going to be a B2B um, sales copywriter helping me build a demand generation playbook for my company X. Here are some of the thought leaders that I would like you to draw inspiration from because event and eventually I think there should be some charging for this, but right now it's free. So if you have certain thought leaders, I don't know, you know, Josh Braun, you know, Jill Conrath, uh, you know, Gary Vanderchuk, what, whatever it is, all those people you listen to and you would love yeah. their advice, tell the AI to be that because they have enough content out there that it actually can get somewhere close, right? So yeah. tell it, and eventually they should be, paid, I think they should be compensated for this and we'll figure all that out. But right now they're not. So spend the 20 bucks a month and get Gary V's advice, right? Yeah. So, so tell it who you want it to draw inspiration from in the ways you want. So first you got to set up and tell it who it is because otherwise you could be putting things in chat GPT and it's kind of like, you know, I think it's a lawyer. And then what I would say is ask it, you know, give information about your company about, about things you have from, from marketing and whatnot, and then ask questions. So define my ideal customer profile. And then we'll come up with something pretty good. Make it a little mm -hmm. more spicy. Then brainstorm with it. It's not a one and done. Brainstorm with it. We'll, you know, make it a little more spicy. This is wrong. You know, give me three different variations. Great. Now give me my three biggest buyer personas, my most important ones. Brainstorm with it. Now give me some call approaches you, you think would resonate to these buyer personas. And we can go, I mean, I'm going a little long here, but you get right. the sense. Like, just leverage it. For that, and I think that's a good uh, quick win for for sales leaders to to use it. 
Do you have a mic over there? Because you might just need to do a quick mic drop. <laughs> okay. There you go. There you go. All right. Awesome. Um, so um, we're going to transition this and close us off with the founder five today. So five quick hit questions around you and your growth and the great things that are connected to it. So uh, first one here is what is the top KPI or measure that you are relentlessly focused on? Yeah. So we have at Sales Roads um, what our, our purpose. You know, so I think it's important at a company to define our purpose. And our purpose is defined as empowering our employees to grow our clients. And we do it in that order for a reason. That we think if we empower our team and our, and they feel empowered, that's going to help grow our clients. So. We struggled for a while. How do, so how do we know for success? So this is our purpose. <laughs> how do I, you know, how do I, so what we did, we came up with a simple thing. We, it's a one to 10 ratio, ranking every quarter that we said is how empowered you feel at sales rates, right? And, and I can't, we have like little things and, and we look at that and we see, is our team feeling empowered? We look at it by division, by SDRs, by managers and whatnot. And, and then we know, are we empowering people? And like last quarter, I felt like we were dipping a little bit. So we actually spent some time where I did some, some trainings with managers. We talked about what empowerment means to people and we really engaged it and we've seen our numbers go back up. So that is the number one KPI that I think if we have an empowered team, then we're going to be able to grow our clients, which is what we're being paid to do. Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. That's in, in 75 Plus episodes now we uh, we've never had that as as the answer. So I, I love that I love that it's your answer because it's such a good one. No, um, all right, <clears throat> second one. Um, uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Yeah, so I <laughs> this tip, and I said it, so I guess I really beat it. So I'm going to repeat it. So it's, it's not to be repetitive, but things are never as good or as bad as they seem. Right. And I just I think, you know, you could think about tactics and you could think about the people you have. But if you don't have that level head, you're just not going to make it through or you're not going to enjoy the ride. Right. And you've got to enjoy the ride. And so if you don't have yeah. the right mindset, I think that it's, it's really tough to be a growth led founder. And so there's obviously so many other parts of it, but starts with what's up here and then everything else can can, can stem from. No, that's good. That's good. All right. Next one. Um, favorite book or podcast or some other medium that's helped you to grow as a founder? So there's a book called Multipliers um, that my coach actually had me read a while ago because I thought I was a great manager that I like, you know, was, was awesome at helping my team. And she said, you know, David, your team can't do anything without you. Like they're always asking for questions and you're great because you always help them, you know, and you're there for them. But it's really not that great <laughs> because they've become dependent on you. And you've got to switch your mindset where you're really finding ways to help them to help themselves. And, and the key, one of the key concepts from the, the book is being a diminisher. And there are some people that, that you can, you know, are a diminisher, right? We've had those bosses that tell you your crap. You know, they say nothing you're doing is, is great, right? And you feel diminished. But the really interesting insight for me from that book was the accidental diminisher. And that's what I was. Yeah. I, I, I'm not that type of person. I don't come down on my team and I, I hold them accountable, but it's not like I'm doing the, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross thing where I'm, you know, yelling at them and all that type of stuff. But 
But I was, because I was always allowing them to come to me or always coming to them and asking if I can help and going through things and taking things off their plate, I actually was diminishing them because they felt not empowered. They felt that I didn't think they could do it, that I thought that they needed my help and they became dependent on me. And so it was that mindset shift, even though my intentions were good, <laughs> I wasn't being yeah. a good manager. No, that's a good, that's a really, that's a really good one. That's also something that, that I've struggled with a lot. You know, that you say you trust the team, but do you trust the team? Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you, you delegate tasks, but but do you de- do you truly delegate? Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> so that's uh, you know that's my coach has worked with me for a while on that one too. It's hard. Um, it's hard. I still it's work hard. On it. I, I haven't solved it yeah. yet, but I've gotten better, so that's good. Same, same. Um, all right. Uh, next one is a a tip that counters traditional wisdom. Yeah. So. Going back to sales and going back to me, um, you know, and I don't know if you can tell or not, uh, but I'm introverted and I'm an introverted person. You know, if I'm in a room, you know, I, I, you know, or networking, I've got to push myself. Once I get into a conversation like this, I get animated and things like that. But I'm not like the type who's just, you know, going up and, you know, uh, schmoozing and whatnot. I got to push myself. And and for a while, you know, people were like, why are you in sales? You're introverted and whatnot. But I realized, and I've been good at sales my, my, my whole life, um, and I started saying, why, why do people not think that? And why am I good, right? You know, uh, and I realized that there are superpowers as an introvert. And one of the key superpowers is my ability just to listen. Not just listen, but, but really hear people and know what they're kind of, my, my EQ is really high, I like to feel what they're feeling. Um, and by really understanding people through sales conversations and just conversations in general, through discovery calls, I'm able to then be able to be a great salesperson because then I can really talk to them about what their issues are, what their challenges are. And so my advice that's counters traditional wisdom is that when you're hiring salespeople, be careful of the stereotypes around sales and really think about what makes a good salesperson and allow those people to really, you know, see whether they're good listeners, see what, what, what they're doing. Because sometimes, you know, the stereotype is, I won't say wrong because there's great extroverted salespeople. I'm not saying that, but introverted salespeople can be amazing. They just have a different skill set that they draw. Yeah, no. Well, well said. If I were to look at like my top 10 salespeople list, I would say at least seven or eight of them were what I would consider extroverted introverts. So naturally introverted, but enjoy the conversation, right? Yeah, kind of, so I would probably put yeah. you in, in that category. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So that's, that's, that's awesome. All right, cool. So last one here. Um, uh, what is the last one? Uh, last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've achieved everything that you set out to, David? I'm going to do a weird punt on this one, but I think it sends the right message, uh, is that I would like the true success would be my kids writing the title to my autobiography. And it's something that I could be proud of. That's cool. So what, what would that be called? Though? <laughs> so, uh, so, so what would I want them to call my auto, autobiography? Yeah. Um, how about this? My kids put, or uh, my dad put me first. Ooh, that's a, I love that. I love that. 
That's awesome. All right. Well, David, you've given so much to our audience today. Um, time for a little bit of self-promotion. How, how can those listening help you out? Yeah. So I, you know, I think just engaging with me, I'm active on LinkedIn. So, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, um, you know, hit me up with, with any thoughts you have about today or any ideas you have, any questions you have. Uh, so that it's always just to, to great to engage with people, meet new, new people. And, and, you know, so I'm David Krieger at, at LinkedIn. Um, and obviously my company is sales road, so you can check us out there. Uh, but you know, just love to hear from people and, and get everyone's thoughts. Excellent, David. Thank you for uh, for joining us on the dirt and audience. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform. We love bringing you insightful guests like David to help you navigate the journey of entrepreneurship in the dirt. So be sure to tune in. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. If you love today's episode of the dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.